Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Product Confidential. Uh, I'm joined as ever uh, by Evie, and today we've got a really special guest, George Manea. Uh, George is a senior product manager uh, working at Money Supermarket, and we're thrilled to have you on the show. Hi, George. Hi, Michael. Hi, Evie. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm a big follower on your Spotify episodes because I don't have YouTube Premium. <laughs> it's the only product i say no on a daily basis so thank you no we're, we're great to have you we're really thrilled to have you on and evie how are you doing i'm doing well enjoying the sunshine yeah it's a very hot day when we're recording so everyone's currently melting so let's see if that comes across in the recording but as ever how we like to start this episode is finding out about people's route into product now George and I met at Product Tank Manchester, and I've had the pleasure of hearing George's story into product. And it's definitely the one that stuck out to me as the most weird and wonderful. So over to you, George, tell us your story. Thank you, Michael. Well, thank you for calling it wonderful as well. Uh, I would definitely say it increased my pain tolerance. So I'm pretty sure, as you can tell, I don't have a British accent, so I'm not natively from uh, England or Britain, so I'm originally from Romania. So I arrived in UK a long time ago in 2011 because I got accepted at the university here. So at that point of time, UK wasn't a part of the European Union, right? So, and so actually it was a part, but Romanians and Bulgarians actually didn't have the right to work in UK, something along those lines, super complicated. It, was, it wasn't, it feels like exactly what's happening now with the political landscape. But I know that I didn't have the right to work. So in order to support myself, I had to find a job. So my first job was actually working in a recycling center in Hartlepool because that was the only job that would have gave me a working permit and the option to go at university as well. So there I had to actually physically get my hands dirty, recycling cardboard, paper, and compost, which is not the best thing to do. The main thing that I got out of it was meeting my partner. Since that day, we're probably now on 12 years being together. So that was the only good thing that I got out of it. That was amazing. But that, that helped me increase my pain tolerance. That also made me think about the physical products that we're doing, right? So all of a sudden, paper had to be only paper. It didn't have to have rocks and so on and so on. From that point, I moved towards selling key rings in a club. So I kind of worked on my selling skills. So when you guys were students and you would have went to clubs, you would have had those noisy people coming at you, taking a photograph. And all of a sudden, they would have showed you this weird photograph of you. Maybe you were like a little bit drunk, a little bit tipsy, having fun, you know, like students do. And you would have had me on your back saying, ah, oh, do you want to buy it? Hey, mate, three pounds. So out of those three pounds, I would have got a pound. This was a long time ago. So the pyramids were built. George was a student. Um, but then I moved up. In the on the working ladder, let's say, and I had to work on my hospitality skills. I ended up working at Nando's. And Nando's for me was the best thing ever because all of a sudden I had paid holidays. For me, that was never a concept. So it was like, okay, I'm getting paid and I can travel. This is new. George, but, did you get free chicken as well? Yes, a lot of free meals. And I actually got to serve a lot of like uh, interesting characters. I served Jimmy Carr. He made a nice joke with me. Um, the guys on Jordi Shore, they were like regular customers in my restaurant. But the way I explained it when I worked when I worked in restaurant, because I've ended up there maybe for five years. So I actually worked 
in a waterfall and agile way. So that's my that was my first interaction with product management because you'd have looked at the menu and you'd have had a predefined product. So let's say half a chicken, chips, and garlic bread, right? So I know exactly the recipe, but the actual service to you, I would check up on you. I would take you from the door, put you on a table, and then tell you you need to go on the table. We'd ask you all those, do you have any allergies, etc. So everything about the process was agile. Meanwhile, in university, I was studying business and computing. So I kind of had an understanding of what was happening in the software development world, but also what was happening in the real world. So from that point, moved into a gambling company. I played a lot of poker in, when I was a student. So I kind of know a lot about what's happening in the casino, blackjack, and a lot of games. So Beat Company hired me as a QA to test the front-end parts of their games. This was on Grovner Casino. Again, long time ago. And from that, went as a PO because I was always getting in those meetings where you have to prioritize work. And from PO or PM and now an SPM. So that was kind of the route. My, the part probably what I learned the most was when I was actually working and dealing with customers because I was getting live feedback. And if you'll ask me, what do I miss as a product manager? Is having a hundred clients or users in the same room and giving me constant feedback. Probably that's one of the pain points I'm experiencing now and I miss it from my hospitality background. <laughs> yeah, that's a, such a great story. I love everything about that. And now you mention it about the key rings. I thought I recognized you from somewhere, George, and now it all makes sense. You got in through um, uni if you were buying all of them. <laughs> I was uh, I was trying to upsell on the key rings as well because if you would have been with a few friends and they didn't have a photo taken, I was like, ah, come on, mate. What are you doing? So, yeah. One of the most skilled people, one of the most varied careers that we've had on this podcast. And I love how you've got a lesson from each one of them. It's like the reflection yeah. that was great. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I do think a lot, and I mention this to my colleagues all the time, is you need all the skills you gather in life. They're all transferable skills. So I speak with my partner on a daily basis of what she does and what I do. And she always thinks that my job is hard. But what, what she actually does is harder because probably she doesn't have the mindset. Well, actually, there's a lot of skills that I'm learning now that I can use with developers, stakeholders, UX, and so on. So selling was very important, especially because I used to work in an e-commerce company. So you had to work with people from sales background, right? So you kind of try to be in their skin as well and understand where they're coming from. Because I used to have aggressive targets and when you when you are a student and your rent money depends on it, so you can study, that was like, yeah, I had to reach it. There's no way of someone saying no to a curing tonight, right? So yeah. What what I love about your story, George, is I, I remember from before I got into product, it seemed like a really aspirational career. And I'd read lots of stuff about it and I'd hear about people in that space and I'd think that sounds really good and I'd really like to be in that world. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening or, or following blogs or going to Product Tank. In fact, since doing this podcast, Evie and I have met a lot of people who send us messages saying, oh, I really want to break into it and asking for advice. And it's really nice um, being able to be on the other side now and actually you know, give people advice back because it was only three years ago I was on the same journey myself. But I think like for anyone listening to your story, like you can go from, you know, in the recycling world, selling key rings and taking skills from each of these chapters of your life 
and getting to where you are now as senior product manager at a really reputable company and winning money supermarket. Um, so I think that's really inspirational and, and gives a lot of people hope. And I'd like to start there actually with Money Supermarket. Um, one of the key things that we're going to talk about today, the, the main topic is going to be about high performing teams and what a high performance environment looks like. But before we get into that, I'd actually like to talk about Money Supermarket a little bit. Um, and my backstory with that is um, when I was still working marketing, my last job in marketing was with a trade body in Manchester called Manchester Digital. And I uh, set up this content series called Senior Tech Talk, in which I'd go and interview uh, the senior tech person at all of Manchester's top companies. Um, I basically set it up as an excuse for me to have a jolly and get out the office for an afternoon and uh, and go and have a little tour of Manchester. Um, but Money Supermarket was one of the companies that said, yeah, come in and interview us. And I spoke to the CTO there. I can't remember his name now, but he was really a really good interview. Um, but the thing that struck me, I went to a lot of different companies and you'd walk in and culture is really palpable. It's hard to explain, but you can kind of walk into an office and feel whether people are having a good time and feeling motivated. I don't know what it is, but you just pick up something. And I remember when I went into Money Supermarket thinking people seem happy. People seem like they're busy, but not in like a, you know, running around headlessly way. They yeah. seem like they're motivated and moving towards something. And I thought... This feels like an interesting place, and I'd be interested to know whether you you agree with with what my feelings were, were about going into money supermarket, and if so, like what what is the culture like in your opinion? That's a great question. So I agree with I will call it the vibe that you felt. I think you can feel it straight away. You open the door. And it doesn't matter if you look where you look. So we kind of have a nice office, a 360 around Manchester, right? So it doesn't matter which part of the company you're looking, if it's finance, if it's tech, if it's marketing, um, everyone is turned on, right? And when I say turned on, I don't actually mean they're working seven to seven. Mm -hmm. So the balance work life, it's amazing at money super, right? The best I had so far. Uh, but everyone is turned on and everyone's engaged. And I think, the main reason, if you want to boil it down, it's going to be simplistic, and I'll apologize in advance. But I think everyone believes in the mission we have because we have a noble mission, which is to actually help people to save them money. And everyone is very passionate about becoming the place where people save more and more money, right? Especially in times like these. And Money Supermarket Group is a big company. There's Quidcode, there's Money Saving Expert, and all of them, the core is to save you more money and help the users. And if you speak with devs, if you speak with UX, if you speak with finance, everyone kind of speaks the same language, which is an interesting thing because if you work in different companies, you have to start with your foundations every time. It's like, okay, what do you mean by that? It's always, what do you mean? Oh, okay, my interpretation of what you said or what you define is this. But in money supermarket, of course, like every other company, they have to define... You go back to your fundamentals and you have to define some basics, but kind of everyone speaks the same language and everyone asks you, okay, is this best for the user? So we're customer obsessed as well. So you can feel that. So I have a question about that because in a nutshell, that's what a lot of us product managers are trying to achieve. We want our teams to have 
laser focused on a singular issue and everyone to be talking the same language. So for Money Supermarket to achieve that, not just in a team level or a program level, but across the company and across different departments, what do you think Money Supermarket are doing right to get that level of alignment? Is it from top down or bottom up? Or, or how do you think that comes about, George? Um, the way you phrase it, it sounds like a simple question, but probably they've done this over the years. It's They have over 20 years experience as a company. I've been there almost, so I'll be in September two years. So I can only have a fresh view on this. But from what I'm seeing is, they kind of know when to get the right people involved and they're transparent and communication is never a problem in money supermarkets. So we have maybe fourthly calls with our CEO where he takes us over different stuff, where we have different floor briefs. What if something happens, we don't lose the communication between the hierarchy, right? So from C-level to senior level to professional level, how we call them. So it's kind of straight communication between all departments and all people and everyone is treated as equal and everyone has a stake in what they're doing. And I, I think that's probably the way I see it. That's the way I feel it. There's a, there's a famous article. Uh, his name is Thomas Nagel. So I'm, I'm very passionate about philosophy. And he wrote a famous article in 1970, something which is called, um, how does it feel to be a bat? Right, which is an interesting article because what he's trying to explain is we'll never be able to understand how other people feel because it's subjective. So what you felt and what I feel, it might be different when you ask someone else. But when you look overall, I think communication is never a problem in money supermarket. There's no such thing as competitiveness between departments. Everyone is working to help each other. So they're high-performing teams as a collective, which is amazing to see. And then it goes down to many different things, the technologies we use, the, uh, the even the small purse that we have in office. So even the the people that work in service desk and they, they're kind of passionate to help you to make sure you have all the systems you need on your computer and they make that a priority. So it's, it's, it's a complicated answer, but I think everyone is trying to achieve this, the best for the company and for our users. So everyone's shipping in. And it is like, I always think these things sound, there's so many different layers and levels to it because a lot of the things that you were describing there are things that people would absolutely say make great culture. And it's like, you know, how do you influence that? And like you say, I think it's a yearly long, not even yearly, takes years to um, uncover that in terms of hiring the right people and making sure you communicate in the right way and making sure that everyone gets brought into that. But it's amazing to see that really come to life in a place where you can see all of those different elements come together and which factors are important. So I think it's a super nice example of someone that's managed to do it well. No, I, I agree with you. And there's 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 so many like layers on this because it all starts from, for example, from recruiting. So we have a, an amazing recruiting uh, office, right? So they do the right job. They recruit the right people. They look at, they analyze so many things. It's impossible for me to track. And then once they recruit someone, you bring them in the company. They have the first day. And the first day in money supermarket, it's overwhelming. But I'm sure it's the same in every company. So I've been activating as a PM maybe in four or five different companies. So I was quite lucky to also change from market to market, from product to product, because I was always on the other side of the fence. I want to go there. doesn't matter what I do, but I want to test and see what I like. And then I'll, I want to be in a position where I can choose. 
right? So my supermarket gets that right as well. But then you also have your colleagues when you speak with them. When you, it doesn't matter if you speak with, so you can easily have a conversation with the CEO of the company in the office. You can meet him in the kitchen and have a coffee with him. And you can have an honest conversation about your product. And probably that's going to be an amazing source of feedback for you. And it's that type of company, which I kind of love. So I think I'm quite lucky from that perspective to work for them. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great, and I'm sure lots of people listening will be really interested to hear that. Um, I'd like to now take it a bit more focused onto a, a team level rather than a, a company wide level. Uh, and the topic of conversation, as I mentioned, is about high performing teams. Um, so kicking us off of that, then George, what do you feel uh, makes a high performing team? Like, what qualities do they possess? How do you know if you're in one? That's a great question because this is a subject that I'm very passionate about in general. Uh, me as a person, I'm passionate about sports and I'm very competitive. So the moment I'll join a team, right, I can't start sharing this aura. But to answer your question a bit more specific, I think we need to concentrate on why we need a high-performing team and what we mean by it, right? Why do we need it? I think... It has many benefits. So the way I see it is the first one is we'll instantly have increased customer satisfaction. So if you have high performing teams, right? Because they're always aware of what's happening. Then we also have improved on the product quality. So that's probably a lot of input from myself as a product manager. Another thing that probably banks are not doing very well, but we are doing very well. We can always improve. I'm not saying we're amazing at it, but fast time to market, right? How fast can you put something in front of the users? That's very important for me and probably for the business. And also lowering down the costs. We've been doing a lot of work on lowering on our costs on AWS, Amazon uh, databases, right? Reducing how much data we store and so on. But I think those are mainly in my head benefits. Obviously they're more, uh, but what I mean by high performing teams this gets truly, truly complicated. So as a PM with almost five years of experience, for me, a high-performing team is a team that instantly has clear goals and objectives that you can measure, instant. The reason you want them is you want to speak the same language as everyone, right? So how do you assess if something goes good or doesn't go as expected? Well, you need to look at the same numbers and say, yes, we can improve. And those numbers need to communicate back to you as well. And I think your clear goals comes and helps you into that as well, right? If you're working, if you're doing agile and have weekly sprints and that's pretty much it, you're not working towards anything and you call yourself agile. I know, I think there's room for improvement there. Um, there's also what I found about teams. <laughs> so I follow a lot of F1 and in F1, you have two drivers competing for the same team. And those two drivers usually complement each other very well. One is the best driver, very fast. And one is the one that's always happy with like being number two or, you know, he complements the other one. It's kind of good to have not necessarily number one and number two in the same team, but you need to have complementary skills. So if I look at my teams in general, then the teams that I work with, the developers, the UX, and data, everyone complements each other with a different view. And we can have a conversation in a way where it results in an actionable thing. So for me, that's a sign you're a high-performing team. Now, there's two other things that I want to touch as well in terms of 
high-performing teams. We can touch many more, of course, but what I think are more very, very important. So the next one would be effective communication between team members. Do we speak the same language? I always have a problem with this because I'm also passionate a little bit about philosophy and I'll make one of my best friends very proud as well by saying this. But um, people understand, if you say the same word, people have different understandings. And this is not me speaking three or four languages. It's the same same word. We want to do good. The moment you ask different three, four stakeholders, what does it mean by good? One wants more numbers. One wants more tech that to be done and so on. So we need to be effective in our communication because you don't want to lose time in many meetings trying to debate things, right? You want to be efficient. And then there's probably the most important part for a team, which is do they trust and respect each other? Are they honest with each other? Do you have your retrospectives? Do you? And I think um, those are things that I, I have as a person by default in general with my partner in my life. I have clear goals. I know what we want. We want to go on a holiday, right? We have goals. Okay, we need to raise some money for that. We have complementary skills. So if I if you speak with my partner, I'm very organized when it comes to doing stuff. Uh, but uh, my head is always um, not necessarily with her. She compliments me. That she pulls me. She's uh, pulls me back. Trust and respect, key in a relationship. So those again, these are like things that you have them by default, but you need to implement them in a in a team. Yeah, I can relate to a lot of that. I think, so I've recently joined the BBC and I'm in a new team and the team I'm currently in, I'd say are high performing. Prior to that, I would say I'd been in one team that was high performing and on either side of that, there was a sandwich of teams that weren't as mature and being in that team that was high performing, uh, we didn't start off high performing, we we got together, we started work together and there was just some magical chemistry and some really good people and a good, as you said, like a good blend of, of both personalities and experience. And as you were speaking then, I was like just jotting down like what I thought made that a good team and a lot of what I wrote down overlapped with what you were saying. I think we had a high degree of focus. We all knew what we were there for and what we were trying to do. And when things came in, because... You get excited, don't you, as a team? Like, oh, we could do this, we could do this. But someone, and it wasn't always the same person, would go, yeah, but is that taking us away from the goal? And we go, oh, yeah, hang on, yeah. Let's put that idea to the side and, and get our focus back. Um, I think we had really good processes. And as part of that processes, I think the main one was, as you said, communication, not only with each other, but with other teams. Like, we were in a, a programme of work at that time, and there was, like, four or five other sister teams but we kind of led the way in creating open Slack channels, inviting everyone to our channel, including the stakeholders. And some of the other teams at that point were like, oh, no, we don't want our stakeholders in. This is our siloed Slack channel. Where safe we space. Yeah. And ours, we were like, well, ours can be a safe space and everyone can be in it. Um, we're not we're not hiding anything. And that just like really, really sped things up. And it we met up quite a lot, too, which is another thing that we should uh, come to, actually, like the importance of being in person and remote. But uh, we met up quite a lot and we, we got on as people. You can't, you know, you can't mitigate for that. Like we just happened to get on as people and that really helped. Um, and we were user obsessed, very user centric. And as part of that, we were lucky. A lot of our users at that point, because we were building an internal tool in the building. So we set, set up like a, a set of champions who were as interested in the product we were building as we were. 
and we just had them as a focus group who we could walk over and ask questions to and we did and they became as part of our team and that like magic mix of things led us to us like moving a project along that had had a bad history of things stalling and we just like really moved really fast and we were a real success story for that department and it felt like a really magical thing to be a part of and I love going in every day and I got a promotion on the back of like my contribution to that team and I went into this other team and it was like oh no like yeah but on the bright side you know what so you had that learning and mm -hmm. now going to team you know exactly what you need to do and you touched on a few points which oh my teams will probably hate the fact that i'm not going to mention this but we do play together every week we so if we can't meet in person we play together pictionary i love this i mean i'm the worst of it the only reason i go there is probably to make other people feel better because i'm always like i can't draw it's impossible but you also touch on something that i think the way i interpreted it was like a shared vision so when you say we speak the same language and communication is important, is do we all share the same vision? Am I doing a good job as a storyteller? So we can understand in you guys will be, everyone will be in my corner. Are we all in the same corner, the safe space? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And do you know what, like, it's like, I think the points that both of you have made then is, yes, that's true. Like, we all know that these functions are the things that you need for a high-performing team. And once you've done that and you've learned that and you've seen that and you've seen the benefits in practice, you can take those elements of magic and you can go and make sure you instill those best practices in whatever team you go and work in. But I do also think it's like, I know you mentioned this word, Michael, you said it's this magic happened. And I do still think there's a part of it that is that, which is there'll be some teams where people form really well together and there'll be other teams where you could put a slightly different mix of people in and you've got a massive uphill battle to fight to try and create that magic and I'm not saying you can't do it but I think sometimes when it comes down to high performing teams it is having that critical lens to say well, we've tried these things and we've tried these things and the magic just isn't going to happen with this combination of people let's not be afraid to rip that up and try something else because I have seen that in reality where I've known what works in practice, but I've just been like, I don't know how to make this work with this group. Like we just maybe don't gel. Um, and I think there is an element of that and people are too scared to say that sometimes. No, you're, you're, you're perfect. Uh, not everyone works well together with other people. Some, and I think you've touched on, a, again, on a super interesting point. Because you have, you have, you're always going to meet that developer that just likes to crack on with stuff. Just give me requirements. George, just give me the Jira ticket. Is it clear? Yes, crack on. He doesn't want to be a part of the bigger stuff. You have, you always might have that person who's like, data ah, what numbers are we looking to move and so on. So, and sometimes different type of people don't work well together. And like you said, a lot of people don't touch at that. They just, they just expect the team to perform because, you know, we have a shared vision. And you're, yeah, like, yeah, not a lot of people mention this. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> I really found, like, to take your point, Evie, um, of going to a place where, like, it, we really didn't have to work hard at it. Something just clicked. And then I think I had a false sense of, like, this is product. It is brilliant. And then I went into this other team and that magic wasn't there. And we actually, to be honest with you, I think I learned more in that second team than I've learned in, in any other point in my working career. 
because it was then, as George mentioned, I'd seen what good looked like and I was trying to implement good in this team that didn't have that level of maturity. And I think by the end, we got to a place where I was like incredibly proud of where we got to from where we were starting. But I felt like I spent probably the first few months feeling a bit like, I don't know, like I was in the role of like an annoying teacher or parent, like, no, 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 don't put that in a closed channel. Please put it in the, no, the open channel, please. Like I was in the open channel. And I just felt like I had to play this role of like trying to herd cats where it had been prior to that. I was in this team where everyone was together speaking a shared language and going in the same direction. It went from like something else. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy it as much, but I was probably better for my career though, like having that experience. Yep. Spot on, a hundred percent. So when I was I was raised at the at the countryside. So my grandfather always said um that if I don't do well in school, I can become a shepherd. Because you you you, you mentioned the word herd there and it triggers something. So I've told this story, my tech lead. So I love I get along with my tech lead. I love him. He knows he has all the respect in the world. He makes basically he makes magic happen. He knows that, right? So obviously we get to know each other on a personal level. And I was saying this story to him and he said, well, George, you're kind of shepherd now, like your grandfather wanted. It's just you shepherd us instead of sheep." And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, you're right. Because I still do that from time to time, like you were saying, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that brings me to another question. How much do you think it is the product manager's role or responsibility to make a team high performing? Right. Um... I think we we all have to chip in, right? There's 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 nothing that a product manager can do by himself, but a product manager can help and can participate a lot from my point of view in creating a high performing team. So, like I was saying, having clear goals and objectives, yes, we can do them together. But probably the business objectives, I'm the best person to make the team uh, aware of them, right? Then when I what I've Evie, you mentioned, and you mentioned it with different words, and I've said it is like creating this sense, this shared sense of vision, right? Kind of falls on the product manager's plate as well, right? It's, it's the way I see it is I need to be a great storyteller. I need to have their buy-in. They're also my stakeholders. People usually don't see their developers are like necessarily stakeholders. I kind of want them on my side. I need them to understand why we're doing what we're doing. So again, it falls down to me. Now. This will depend from company to company, but just make sure everyone has opportunities for training and development, right? Because you work with everyone individually. You know, maybe one's forte is on databases and SQLs. Another one's point would be Java. Another one forte will be front end. So ask them, where do you, there's nothing stopping you as a PM. I do it to speak with them as human beings. What are you with your development? What what are you trying to work on? Do you want to lead on initiatives? And that's how they grow as well. So we we ended up in a point. So this is how I failed as well. Long time, maybe last year as well. Every developer wanted to lead their own initiatives, right? Because they wanted to grow, and everyone wants to grow at a at a, at a fast rate. I want to do the same. Like everyone wants a promotion, right? And we ended up with like from like five developers, each one of them was working on their own initiatives in silo which brought another set of problems but that's a different conversation maybe for a different episode but the idea is that you need to have within your team like training opportunities upskilling opportunities and probably the thing that 
the least gets mentioned is celebrating success. Who's responsible for that? So I kind of try to remember them. I mean, maybe I'll, I'll put a meeting. The engineering managers gives us a great hand and they're doing an amazing job. Every time we have like, not necessarily, I don't call them big bang releases, but every time we achieve something that's more than a sprint goal, we kind of go out, we play together, we have a few drinks. Maybe we play darts or go outside our comfort zone to celebrate together because we want that, right? So I think as a PM, you kind of contribute to all of them. Some of them, maybe they're in your full control. Some of them, you can chip in more than other members. But I see it as my responsibility as well, right? I really like what you said there about taking responsibility and putting a priority on other people's development and having that conversation and asking where people in your team want to grow and develop. Because I think by having conversations like that with people, instantly you show, like, I'm not, a product manager that's like ego driven and I've, I'm sure we've all seen those type of product managers like I don't I'd, I'd hate to think that people thought that of me maybe they do I don't know but I think by like having that conversation and like genuinely meaning like tell me like where you want to go and I can do the best to my ability to make sure the work that you get gives you the opportunity to lean into that space and that helps with the relationship building and that atmosphere of trust and psychological safety and people enjoying their work and coming in thinking oh yeah I'm going to lead on this thing and it's actually what I want to do as opposed to like here's just a ticket I've got to deal with it's another one so yeah I really like that point and uh, one more question on this for me anyway um, you were saying then about sharing success and I'd like to get your thoughts on um, remote working office-based working and the effect that has on high performance right again it, this is a hot topic right it's still mm -hmm. trending since covid mm -hmm. um i think it doesn't have it doesn't affect high performing team so i'm very biased as well so from my point of view because i live 10 minutes away from the office i don't have any problems going to the office actually today i should have done this this podcast from the office but something else has happened, so I have to stay home. So for me, it's quite easy to like travel to the office. But not everyone is in the same situation. So if you create an environment where you trust and communicate with each other sincerely, I don't think this will affect the high-performing team. We like in money supermarket. We work uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays in the office. Uh, everyone is in. It's amazing, right? You can go at people's desk. You can bother them, right? Because when someone is sending a message on Teams and Slack, you know, you might you might not prioritize that message. You might do something else. But face-to-face -face office, you have the opportunity to see body language, to see someone, to grab a coffee with someone, to socialize. So I like that element a lot. But I also like the element of a company actually trusts us to achieve our goals that we committed from home. And that's also a sign how good the culture it is, right? So I think we should try and do what's best for everyone by approaching it at a personal level. Because some people might not be able to go to the office five days, four days, three days. But again, it depends down to the company, to the teams and so on. Going back to your question, I don't think it should affect high-performing teams. We have companies fully remote. They're amazing. Zoom was fully remote and we're having this call, right? I think over the pandemic, it exploded. Yeah, although in the news this week, they're now calling people back into the office, apparently, Zoom. 
Um, so yeah, but I think why is that? Do you do you know? Uh, they I I only caught the headline. I think they said that they think productivity goes up by having people in the office some days. Um, and I think that was their model pre-COVID with like certain people in a certain vicinity went to the office so they're just now they're deciding to go back to that but it's all an experiment right but like you say I think it's more about dealing with people on an individual basis um, and knowing what works for them but so much of that comes down to that trust and communication element that you talked about that are essential to a high performing team if you don't have those it makes this whole hybrid in-person conversation a lot harder. But if you focus on having those, then hopefully, like you say, the rest of it shouldn't matter so much. You should be able to achieve a high-performing team either way, hopefully. Yeah. I think, in my opinion, it is perfectly possible, as as you both said, to create high-performing teams in a remote environment. And in my current team, I work with people who are home workers contractually um, and you know, we've created a brilliant atmosphere and it's really inclusive and it's great. But I also think that for me personally, I like having the opportunity to work in an office with people because I found that it's 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 the things that you hear in between calls where you have a conversation as a product manager with people and you think like, right, everyone's aligned and then you're just working on something and you hear some people talking you're like, whoa, that was not what I meant. Or you hear someone talk about, something you're like oh that I, I need to learn about that thing and I wouldn't have got that if I was sat at home and that I think I don't know there's a catalyst to learning and development that happens but I also think there's something about going back to your point about um, celebrating your successes actually doing that in person going out for a meal going bowling or, or just like you know playing a game on a Friday there's something about building those relationships in person that um, I don't think you can replicate on teams in my opinion anyway no, I, I, I fully agree. And I think it's slightly different due to the nature of the role we have. So I think, for example, me personally as a product manager, my I have a high level of FOMO. So I kind of like being listening to different conversations, different managers, different people, because I'm also curious in general of what's happening. And you missed the, if I don't I don't have that at home so when I'm in the office, I'll try and engage with as many people as I can. And I enjoy that. But like I was saying, I think it should go down to your role, to your personal situation, because some people can do the job fully remote easily. No, and high perform as well. And it goes down to, because you touched on Zoom, it might increase productivity levels. It, it's all a narrative, right? It depends how you define productivity. Like, is Zoom going to have more features now? Or are they going to do screen in screen? Or like, because people are in the office? I don't, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. We had tests in the UK, right? We had tests for not for hybrid, for productivity for four days or something on those lines. And I was looking at the same data with someone else, and we started to interpret that data in different ways. So it's like there's there's no concrete or palpable evidence on like saying hybrid or this way or that way, but just do what's best for you as a company, as a person. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's been like a really interesting chat and I've really enjoyed it and I hope our listeners have as well. Um, I'd like to move us towards how we tend to round off uh, Product Confidential with our quick fire round. Um, so starting off with that then, George, what's the best thing about being a product manager? Um, right, yeah, I forgot about this part. I should I should have prepared for this. So the best part is 
as a product manager, you make a real impact on people's life. That's how, that's the way I see it. It's, you can build, you can take an abstract thought and making in something that actually helps people. So last time, like two or three years ago, I worked on a, on the home base site on the redesign of home base. And the number of users that home base has is something that all PMs aspire when I speak with them. So I had a chance to like actually help those people, right? Probably created a few frustrations in their life because the product didn't arrive on time, but hey, you have to prioritize the features. So yeah, I think that's that's probably the part that I enjoy the most. Cool, and flipping that on its head, um, what's the worst thing about being a product manager? Mm, it, for me, is the lack of control. Because even, so if you check my LinkedIn profile, it says I have all the responsibility and no power. This is one of my favorite, my favorite quotes. I can't control tech. I can't control resourcing. I can't control. The only thing that I can control is like prioritizations on my product and the what, what we build. And because I, I'm lacking that control, that's the worst part. But I think all the benefits you have as a PM balances out easily in the favor of aspiring for a PM career. It goes back to trust, right? You've got to trust yep. people around you. Um, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Okay, and uh, what's your best tip, product tip for any of our listeners? Just be curious in general. That's my, be curious, go and explore, go outside your comfort zone. I know it sounds like all the, like everyone else is saying, but it's probably because it's true. I think if you're curious as a person, you, you'll end up finding easier your path because you'll discover what you like, what you don't like. You're testing, you're failing fast, you're learning. So just be curious. If you're a PM, cool. Go go and learn about that more. If you're aspiring to be a content writer, okay, test chat GPT more. See if it's going to take your job or not. You know, stuff like that. Just be curious. Test stuff. Great. And then one final question. Um, what's the last thing that you've learned? Could be a book, a talk, or a course. Can be product-related, non-product-related. What's the last thing that you've learned that uh, has helped you with your craft? the last thing that i've read so i was actually saying to my manager now and i'm guilty of this um i've never read products uh product road, roadmaps relaunched so i've started to read it right it's quite easy to read there's a v3 of this book as well that's the version that i'm reading uh it's interesting it teaches you how to build a roadmap but again, this is a, a world that's fictional. It doesn't apply to the companies that I've been a part of. That's the, I don't recommend that book. What I do actually recommend, think, thinking fast and thinking slow. That was one of my favorite books. It teaches you how you lie and deceive yourself and you're not aware. So I always bring some bias to my conversations and I was never aware. And this book made me think from different angles. It's like, well, actually... Because what the book goes at is your brain is very lazy and you want to go always have the fastest solution. So you fool yourself without knowing. And that made me also understand how I work. That means I can work better with other people. So yeah, I'll recommend that. You also want a Nobel Prize for that research. So yeah. Yeah, it's a book I have on my shelf to look clever, but I've never taken down. So one of these days, maybe I should. But, um... There's a short version of it. You can You can listen to the summary. And it is a really good read. It's definitely worth it, but I know you've got a busy life. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Well, 
I think this has been a, a fantastic episode. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure to have you on, George. And yeah, uh, thanks everyone for listening as well. And we hope you join us for the next episode. And please do leave feedback if you've enjoyed the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe so you get to hear about our latest episodes as soon as they land or dive into our archives and check out some of our earlier episodes. If you're a fan of the show, we'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to recommend the show on social media or leave some feedback wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening.